I think Henry can pad some serious stats, but I think Eric's got kind of everything. Henry's a stat patter. That's what I just heard. Got it. Yep. We'll make sure that's a headline. Football game, yes. And he's a terrible dancer. Hello, and welcome to the Raleigh Pro Ultimate Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Mead, and we're here to connect you with the players and personalities of North Carolina semi-professional Ultimate Frisbee. Today, we'll be talking to part owner and head coach, Mike Denardis. Mike was raised in the Chicago area, moved to North Carolina in the mid-2000s, got married, settled down here, and has been with us ever since. Mike was a mainstay as a coach for the University of North Carolina's collegiate ultimate program, Dark Side, since the late 2000s through the mid-2010s, including winning a college championship in 2014. Along with coaching collegiately, Mike has coached the local elite men's club team, Ring of Fire, for most of the 2010s, which has included top four finishes at club nationals every year since, I believe, 2015. Since the inception of the Flyers in 2015, Mike has served as head coach and been a part owner. Mike has helped encourage many of his players to give back to the community, pushing them to coach youth boys and girls teams throughout the Triangle, which has led to his ideas and systems to take root in many of the teams throughout all of North Carolina. Mike has worked relentlessly to keep the teams he's been a part of growing and innovating, and I believe it is no exaggeration to say that Mike is a huge reason we have the Flyers and further success today. So it is only fitting to have him on to help me break down the season schedule, as well as to get to know him a little more. On that note, today we're going to be breaking down a little bit of the season schedule before we talk to Mike. I've been really excited to get a chance to see this and get a chance at all these new look teams in the Super Atlantic Division. And all that starts on week one against the Atlanta Hustle. The Hustle have a new look team that should be really interesting. Obviously, it's the first game back since the pandemic, and so there's going to be a lot of pent-up energy. Unfortunately, it won't be at our, our own home stadium yet, but at least we'll get a chance to test ourselves against this new Hustle team that all the players have been raving about. Week two, we'll have our first home game against the DC Breeze. Uh, DC's always been a great matchup for us. Anytime we've played them out of division, we've had really tight games, some really great wins, and some great losses. They have an AUDL MVP uh, a couple years ago in Rowan McDonald, and should be a pretty fun, exciting matchup to start everything with. Week three, we'll have another home game and another game of the week matchup against the Boston Glory. As you probably heard by now, Boston is the newest team on the AUDL block. And so what that team looks like is going to be a big mystery. Boston has been an incredible hub for a great ultimate for a long time. So it should be a pretty compelling matchup, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Week four, we have our third home game in a row against the Philadelphia Phoenix. This is arguably a weaker team in the Atlantic division, although it should be really interesting. Not one we've actually played before. So that'll be our premier matchup with them. July 4th weekend on July 3rd, we'll be playing for week five in Florida against the Tampa Bay Cannons. Definitely a physical kind of taunting rival that should be a really fun matchup to watch on ADL.TV. The next week on week six, then Tampa comes to us. So we'll play them and again, get hopefully a revenge game, whether uh, we lose to them the week before or get a chance to just rip on them. Week seven, we'll uh, play away again against the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds, led by the AUDL's all-star game MVP, Max Shepard. So that should be an exciting matchup, again, an away game in Pittsburgh to watch. Week eight, we get a bye week, which is perfectly put for us right in the middle of the season. After that, we then have Pittsburgh come to visit us on week nine. So that should be a fun, again, kind of rematch after we just played them two weeks before. And then closing out in the final month in August, week 10, we get the doubleheader weekend where on Friday night, we go to Boston and get our rematch with them from earlier in the season. And then Saturday night after traveling through, we will then visit and play at New York, arguably one of the top teams to compete against, given that they won last year and have looked like they've only gotten better. Week 11, we will get our own home game against Atlanta. So that'll be a rematch of the very first game of the season. 
So that should be a fun one against kind of more of a local rival. And then we will finish our regular season on week 12 against the DC Breeze, uh, this time in DC. Uh, and hopefully we'll be back there again uh, since uh, DC is actually going to be hosting championship weekend just a couple weeks later. A couple of quick notes that I look forward to talking to Mike about. First off, we have a really home-heavy start after that first game away on week one, week two, week three, and week four. So the back three weekends in June are all home games. That's a really nice way to kind of settle in, let our players get comfortable at home, let our fans come out and get them started the right way. That then sets them up for more of the away trips in the back half of the schedule. In the middle of the season, I actually really like these fun kind of home and aways where we play Tampa away in Tampa on week five and then play them at home on week six. And then same thing with Pittsburgh. We play away at Pittsburgh week seven, have the bye, and then week nine, play them again. And so similarly to the way the NBA had to do these because of COVID, I actually really like the way that this allows us to kind of build stories and have conversations where after the first game happens, we can then kind of build into the next game. So that should be really cool. Week 10, obviously, is the away doubleheader. That's going to be the week. I'm sure we'll, we'll build into that and do kind of some special coverage of that. Playing in Boston for the first time should be an electric environment. And then, uh, as we already mentioned, playing New York um, on a Saturday night, game of the week, uh, was the best game of 2019. And so having that game again, when all of our players are chomping at the bit to, to rip on them in New York, it's going to be really fun. So week 10, definitely one to circle. Uh, that's August 6th and August 7th. Definitely want to be watching on AUDL.TV. We play Atlanta and DC both to start and end the season, which I think is actually kind of cool that we'll have them as benchmarks, both to start and see where we're at to start the season and then to kind of finish the season. There's only one double header. Some teams opted to have more bye weekends, but then had to play more two games in a weekend. And so we only have our one double header weekend on the week 10, as we just mentioned, um, which only gives us one bye. But I think given the depth of the team, this suits us really well. And then finally, as we'll talk about with Mike, we as of now have four games of the week scheduled uh, on Fox Sports 2. So excited to kind of see what his thoughts are on that and how do we get coverage for that. It's something some of the other Ultimate Media entities have already noted makes this kind of special. And so that should be kind of cool to get a lot of coverage for, for the team. All right, on to Mike. We'll get some thoughts from here. Hope you enjoy. This is our interview with Mike Denardis. So today we have on the program our head coach of the Raleigh Flyers, Mr. Mike Denardis, and we're excited to have you on today. How's it going? I am doing fantastic. All right, so I'm just going to open with the same question that we always do with the players. And so first off, who are you? What is your story? I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in a suburb outside of Chicago, kind of doing the things kids do in terms of like traditional sports. Um, I kind of ran the gauntlet on sports growing up. You know, I started so with soccer and I started playing soccer when I was like, I don't know, like three or four years old. And I played it almost through varsity high school and I decided to quit because I started really enjoying other sports like wrestling and I really liked tennis too. I'm a huge Chicago homer to this day. Like I love Bears football. Like the Justin Fields draft pick was the highlight of my year so far, I think. You know, I when that happened, I like turned to my wife and I was like, you don't understand how big this is. And she's like, yeah, I think I do for you. <laughs> but yeah, once I got to college, I, I tried to wrestle when I went to the University of Iowa. And um, I picked up Ultimate by cross-training with it for the first couple of weeks I was there. And I quickly learned that wrestling wasn't going to be my future, especially at Iowa, who was like, it's like a 19-time national champion. So uh, yeah, the other interesting thing is I was telling the guys actually at one of our like meetings the last couple of nights is it was the first time I, I came across, and obviously like this is lore and Ultimate, but a bunch of guys wearing skirts playing sports. And I came from like this ultra macho machismo, like 
wrestling. Everyone's, you know, kind of knuckle draggers. And then, you know, you just get owned by some dude in a skirt and you're like, wow, this is, this is sweet. Like it was just like a totally different experience. And I was like, this is awesome because it's like, you can just tell these, these people were all athletes and it was a counterculture thing. So, you know, it kind of got me hooked. So, you know, that, that's kind of like my ultimate, you know, history through sport, but, uh, for life stuff, I was in the financial industry. I did finance and economics at, um, at Iowa. And I was, I started out trading in Chicago. I first, I first worked in New York for a year, but I started trading in Chicago for multiple years. And then one of my friends that I traded with got a job out in North Carolina as an energy broker. So energy derivatives broker. And he brought me out here and I've been here since 08. So I've been doing that and got married out here, have two children and kind of playing the juggling act of family and Frisbee and all the other stuff. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell right now. Sure. So you talked a little bit about this in your intro to Frisbee, but obviously now you have a major role as a coach and you've coached at the college level, the club level, and at the professional level. So how did you get into that? What have your experiences been like with that? How has that been different? What you did before, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I played obviously in college for, for, for four years and I went through the motions of the club scene and doing that kind of stuff. And while I was in Chicago, I picked up, um, I picked up coaching. I helped coach Northwestern when I was almost fresh out, fresh out of college when I was like 20, I went to New York for a year, but almost right when I came back. So like 23 ish, 22, 23. And, um, I did that for quite a while. And I, you know, you go through the motions of learning how to coach and, you know, especially with a team that's not dealt like, dealt like the most superior hand of genetics and athletics and the things that make, you know, at least on the surface, great teams or good teams, good. But uh, I picked it up there. And then when I went to North Carolina, I, I, I played on a club team called Los um, because I was kind of burned out with like super competitive stuff. And that's a whole nother story that became like something I was like, all right, I'm just going to play for fun a couple of years. And then that became super competitive. But one of my teammates, Matt Thomas, played at UNC at the time. And uh, he, I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, I coach, I coach uh, in, you know, I coach Northwestern when I was in Chicago. Are you interested in like having me help out? And yeah, I came on and Jared Enselman, like a ring of fire legend, was coaching UNC at the time. And I think he was kind of winding down there. And I kind of, we, you know, I worked with him for the first year and then I became that coach. And I've been, I was that doing that for since 2000. I guess, you know, I phased out, but I would say my real, my last real, real like commitment to UNC was like 15, but I've, all, I've been around and then I kind of cut the cord maybe like last year and a half. So what year did you start at UNC? Well, that would be like, oh, eight, like oh, seven, oh, eight. Like I moved here late oh, seven. So I got right as you, literally right as you got into town, you're like, Hey, yeah. I want to, I want to help coach. Okay. Yeah. So that was the college scene. And then. Yeah you obviously ended up doing more club and pro stuff. So when did all that start? Yeah. So then, uh, you know, as I, as I UNC kind of gained more and more momentum, I, you know, I think ring started poking around for a coach and uh, I was more of an advisor role in like 13. I just came in and observed some practices and watched some of their habits and just to see if I could help out a little bit here and there, just because I didn't want to over, overcommit myself, which is hilarious now that I think about it. Cause it's like, Hey, I don't want to overcommit myself. And then I end up like coaching ring and owning flyers and coaching flyers and coaching UNC all in the same, like hectic 
couple years. But yeah, I helped out with ring in 13. And then I basically became a full coach, full on coach in 14. And then the, that year, that's when the, well, I start, I started kicking around the AUDL stuff in like 13 with Casey Degnan, who was co-owner for a few years. And, um, he moved to town and he was like, let's, let's do this. And basically like 14, 15 is when 14, late 14. And then into the 15 season, we got the ball rolling with flyers. Um, so he, he moved to the area, he started kind of doing the logistics. I said, I would definitely coach and help where I could. And that's how it all came to be. Um, when the AUDL expanded to the South division, we were, we were first, you know, one of the first teams to join up. So what, so you started college. So you're, you're dealing with college kids, 22 and under, you know, UNC has been a pretty dedicated program for a while, but then you transitioned to doing more club. And then on top of that, then you start doing pro. So what was that like from a coaching standpoint, transitioning from just different age groups alone, let alone the experience itself and the fans? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Like, I, I think it was one of those things where I bit off, you know, eyes were bigger than my stomach, right? Like I was humming along with UNC and we were like getting really good brand recognition, doing really, really great stuff. And I was super dedicated to that team from essentially day one of walking in the door to like, I would say 15 is when I started kind of phasing, like even our national championship year, I, I would say I wasn't as committed to the team is like 2014, like 2014, I dedicated all my hours to UNC because I saw what we could do. And then 15, I, it was almost, all right, this is the machine's moving now, especially with John Nethercutt and like Ben Snell and Justin Moore and our, the leadership we had, I could tell they could handle some of the burden and the load. And so, you know, that, that was when I, I, when I was juggling all these balls, I was like, all right, well, this is, you know, now we're starting this new thing with the flyers. I have ring, you know, ring season just was freshly over. And, uh, you know, that was when I started kind of phasing out the UNC side and, and trying to like build more commitment to the club side. But in terms of like juggling the people, you know, I think it, it was a little bit different of cultures because one was built in UNC ring I just had come on and was trying to build something a little different and flyers was the wild west I didn't know what to expect because I didn't know how to coach it I didn't know what the teams would like would look like I don't you know you know how ultimate would look with refs so that was just like all right well you know let's throw some stuff against the wall whatever sticks will but we knew we were talented so that was you know a good starter and and I would hope I would coach well and you know that's kind of where we're all kind of what I'm, what I'm saying, like juggling a lot of balls, like you got to figure out what, uh, what is more sustainable without you. And that's what I started to do in terms of balancing it a little more. So getting into the fires a little bit, cause I'm really excited to talk about this season. And obviously this season's going to be so different than anything else we've ever done, which is going to be awesome. But before we get into that, so just, you've now been the head coach for the, whole, the entire tenure of the teams, so the last five years. So can you talk a little bit about the evolution of the team? You know, we haven't been back to championship weekend since the first year. So what was that first year like? And then kind of how has it evolved since? Yeah. I mean, the first year was super exciting. It was so amazing, like playing with, you know, playing in front of fans. There are very few games that can rival like a national championship level event, but like the first Flyers game ever and the playoff game we played against Jacksonville, I think the first year was like the first taste of that you could take a single game format and have some electricity in the air. 
Um, Who was the first game against? That was Atlanta. That was like at Wake Med. And, I, you know, I think we had like a thousand people, you know, pretty close to a thousand people, if not a thousand people. But, you know, that was a really fun game. There's so much energy. There were huge plays. Like there's a couple of huge like Terrence Mitchell, Justin Allen, like signature plays. It was just awesome. Like super, super electric. And then the Jacksonville game was great. Yeah, I, you know, that that 15 season was really cool because it was fresh and we had no idea what was going on. So it was really exciting. And then, you know, it, it's, it turned, it turns into kind of a grind because it's like, now you go from, you have all this electricity of the newness to year after year, you're trying to build something bigger and better, both on the field and off. You know, the, the next couple of years were a little bit of a slog because I think we may, maybe lost identity a little bit in 16. Cause we didn't like, we had some of the UNC guys growing up, but not fully immersed. And then like, they were still coming of age a little bit. So that at first was like some of the older guys, like, like Dave Snow, Brian Casey, like guys that were established ring guys and that shift in personnel and maybe like still adjusting to what the league was made of. And like, obviously our, our division changed in 16 because Dallas brought in like, you know, super team and the South was like really, really more competitive than when the Texas teams came in and that changed a little bit. And then I think 17, 18 was kind of getting used to that also, but but also I feel like the 17, 18, 19, well, 17, 18 teams were more established and more like powerful because we had our identity and we had more of a, like a consistent core and, um, you know, with the goose Helton's of the world coming in and, and, you know, Misha's and those guys like Alan and guys that were like traveling to us instead of, it wasn't all homegrown, but we had like a kind of a, a nice mix and a more consistent mix of people. So it felt like it was not on the field product was really, really solid. And well, then, that's the year we went 13 and one. Right. So. Yeah. Like- yeah. And that was a weird year. Like, I think it was 18 when we went to Texas, even though I think we won the division basically to save money. I was not happy about that. Cause that yeah, was right in after. Hi- yeah. In hindsight, that was a mistake. And I, I regret it a little bit because I think that, you know, we, we were crushing Dallas in the first half of that game. And once they got energy, we were sucked up, you know, the energy was sucked out of us because we had a two, you know, basically a back-to-back game. And that's really hard to withstand the energy or maintain the energy there. So, but yeah, like through the, you know, through that like four or five year process, we finally had that pretty good identity. And then 19 almost like reset it all again, because we had all these young guys come in and turn into kind of power players. And so it was like a new, a newness there. On the organizational side, we, that, that's an interesting story too, because we, we also like finally regained an identity because for the first couple of years we played at Cardinal Gibbons High School and it was a very consistent venue. We would play at like Cardinal Gibbons or Wake Med. And so I think our fans probably had a more valuable experience because they had a consistent kind of home. And 19, I think we regained that because for a couple of years we were in flux or at least a year we were in kind of flux and where our true home was. And uh, 19, we partnered with Durham County Stadium and we really like them. And now that's essentially going to be our home. And hopefully like on the organizational side, it makes just way easier. And it also gives us a consistent home that people can be like, all right, this is where the Flyers play. And like, this is going to be the place where we convene when there's an event or like when we're, you know, there's a big game or something like that. They know location and, and kind of like the environment there, which is super fun. Plus they'll probably have beer this year, which is pretty sweet too. (laughs) <laughs> we'll put that as a headliner for the podcast. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, no. And I remember my first game, 
moving here from Texas was in Wake Med. And for those who've never been to Wake Med, it is a magical arena. It's like perfect for Frisbee. It felt like it was the perfect size for us. Uh, that it's grass and it's some of the nicest grass fields I've ever seen. But maybe that's just because from I'm from Texas because so we don't have a lot of great grass fields. But I definitely it was it was weird being in that environment, which was just kind of incredible. And then, yeah, that next year was it was kind of all over the place. So it's exciting that we have like a permanent place. And it's a really I mean, Durham Memorial is really quite beautiful. And in the internal side of things that fans probably want to know about that, the people that work at Durham County Stadium are super quality and great partners. And that's been a little bit hard to find with other venues. Like other venues treat you like a second class citizen because it's like Frisbee, right? It's like, what, what, they don't know what it is, but like, you know, being at Durham County, they treat you like first, like you're, you're the sport. They're super excited to have you. They really love having events. They want to do more stuff. Like when the ratings came, their staff members are constantly asking about like the radiance games. And so it's awesome to like have someone that's like, we love this event and we love these, this team. And so you want a partner like that because hopefully long-term when this becomes something special, you have like a great partner to grow with. All right. Moving into the real reason we have you here to break down the schedule. I already did the season breakdown at the beginning, but my question to you first off is what role did you have as an owner slash head coach? Well, I'm assuming as a head coach, you didn't exactly have a role, Um, but as an owner, what role did you have in helping craft the schedule with any of the little uh, cool or different things about it compared to past years? So every team has a little bit of input when you're crafting a schedule. So Every team has preferences. Every team has weekends when they want to do stuff. If players have like a big wedding, some people have off limit weekends. So our input was generally, we had a probably six or seven really strong, good weekends that we could get the home location. We were talking about like Durham County for, for those games. And there were no conflicts the rest of the time. Like sometimes they have like track meets or stuff early in the day, but yeah, I mean, it's similar to that when you're crafting a schedule, the league, the division does it based on availability and then you kind of you know sometimes fit a a square peg in a round hole when you know like if you see like some of our our games we play teams back to back and especially with a 12 game and like 13 week schedule there's that's just going to happen there's going to be some things that are you know weird quirks of having the schedule but i think ours worked out really well like Beside the, you know, playing the same team home and away back to back, like most of the stuff worked out really well, like just breaking up the DC matchups and the Atlanta matchups. So yeah, I I was really happy with it. Having some Friday games, I think there'll be some announcements about Friday stuff coming down the pipe. So that's why we have more Friday games, which would be pretty sweet. But yeah, like, and the thing is like, you also, you have to have a good partner division because if you have somebody that's just a stick in the mud the whole time, say a no to everything, just holds up the process. And it's been our, our part, you know, our division was great with that. People worked with each other. The dates we had, we basically got all of them. And like, if we needed to adjust for other people, we tried to accommodate, like we have a game. No one wants to really play on July 4th, but we, you know, we did because you just have to make some sacrifices here and there, especially with the time frame. Yeah. It worked out really well, I think. Well, and you touched on a couple of things that I had noted. So First off, week one, how much did we have to pay Atlanta to not get our first game at our home stadium? What happened there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, I, especially with like the new rostered Atlanta team, you know, let's get Raleigh like fresh off this. You know, There's so much buzz about Atlanta. Everyone I've talked to on the AUDL side and in like these podcasts has been like, Atlanta's going to be great, which is exciting because, you know. Yeah, I mean. You know, they're going to have some surprises for us. We'll probably have some surprises for them. And, you know, it'll be a fun first matchup. Like, I'm excited about that one, probably more than, 
you know, mo more than most of these games just to see, be the first, have the first crack at like the new Atlanta, you know, we'll see what they can do. Well, and right after that, we jump into this like kind of home heavy schedule. So we, we, we go away to play Atlanta, but then immediately we get three home games back to back, which is kind of nice to kind of ease into the season, including two games of the week right at the beginning with uh, versus DC for our first home game on June 12th. And then Boston on the 19th in our premier time playing them. So, I mean, I feel like that's kind of exciting. And then the, that we do right after that, get these kind of fun home and aways, which I guess, so you sound, make it sound like as a coach, you're not super excited about that, but as a fan, it's kind of fun. Cause you get almost these little mini series, kind of like the NBA has been doing where you get the same team, boom, boom, and you kind of get to compare, but that you made it sound like you're not super excited about that. Yeah. I mean, you just want, I, if fans like it, that's awesome. I, I, um, I don't mind it as like, you know, from a strategic standpoint, I don't mind playing a team back to back. Uh, you know, if, if you, you know, you and others as fans love it, then, it's great. More, more the better. Like that was the only thing that I thought was maybe a weird quirk in the schedule, but yeah, the, the early, I, I like the, um, well, there's a couple of things like obviously every one of these teams, you know, you have this new kind of Atlanta roster, like stronger Atlanta roster, DC, we've played DC and had great games against them, but they're going to be a little bit different this year. Boston's totally new. Philly's new. Every one of these teams, even like Tampa, like will have different roster, different and new and interesting roster pieces. It's like every one of these games is pretty unique versus going through the motions over, you know, 2016 to 2018, where you kind of knew what Austin looked like, what Atlanta looked like, what Tampa looked like. And now every team is, you know, especially fresh off of a year off, every team's going to look different and, and interesting, including us. Like, I think we'll, I think we'll, people will be surprised by some of the people on our roster in like week one. So it'll be super fun to, to just, go at it against some of these teams in this division. It's going to be exciting. And there's, there's so much newness to it. it. Everyone's super excited to do it. All right. I have to ask the question. We can, we can delete this later, but I have to ask, <laughs> are you, are you happy or bummed out that Dallas isn't in the division anymore? I'm bummed out, man. I wanted to kick their ass. I, you know, you know, I just, I, it just makes me angry. Like I just want to beat them. And like, as a, as a person that's super competitive, I don't ever want to feel like a team bests you. And right now they've bested us. And I want to have as many cracks as that team as humanly possible for the rest of my coaching days, because I want to turn the tables, and be the team that just constantly owns them when we see them. We'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll crap all over them at championship weekend. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what I hope for. That's what, that's what Henry called. So we're going to, we're going to go with what he says. Mm -hmm. On that note of really good teams. So we do get this doubleheader weekend. So week 10, which I, it's going to be a baller weekend. So because we get Boston on Friday night and then we have to turn it around and go beat New York in New York in the game of the week. So I think we'll do a special pod leading into that weekend, I'm sure. But uh, on your end, when you were building that, I, obviously, I think we would have preferred to play, especially New York, not doing a back to back situation. But I mean, how did that end up all coming to pass? Yeah, I mean, same thing, kind of schedule quirks. I think initially version one of the schedule, we were supposed to play New York first, but also it's just travel. I think you group Boston and New York together because it's easy to travel to one and then travel the other and travel home. But it's going to be a heck of a weekend. And, you know, like if it was a Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sundays are way harder just for the uninitiated because you play Saturday night, you wake up, you travel from like, you know, or you drive a little bit after your game that Saturday night and you wake up at like, you know, still you have to wake up pretty early and travel to the next city. And it's tough to play like at one or two on a Sunday. 
but a Friday, Saturday isn't as bad at all because, you know, you usually travel like a Thursday night, get there Friday or, you know, you travel Friday and you're there by game time, but then you have the whole day on Saturday to reacclimate and you can still travel a little bit after the game and then wake up and travel. And then you still have like five or six hours before you play that Saturday game. So it's not, it's not as bad. But once again, you're playing two, two, you know, in theory, pretty tough teams and you're playing New York, which is seemingly the best team in the division besides us, of course, on that second night. So other things that you might want to do is play, take some reinforcements, maybe play a different roster a little bit for Saturday, Friday versus Saturday. So, you know, those that, all- that's, I think a lot of people have been talking about our depth too, is where we have advantages over other fran- franchises that there's just, just a depth to the community um, and the players have moved into town. And so it does feel like, you know, we could, uh, and the, the other thing is, of course, the team's just young. A lot of the pieces that we have, I feel like are a lot younger. And I, you know, obviously we haven't seen a roster yet, so we're still waiting for that. But as, you know, as far as we're aware, a lot of the power players are young. So doing back-to-back weekends is just another tournament for them. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. They're used to it. Young legs, man. Wear, wear them out. Ride the, ride the horses. The other big kind of scheduling, and we, I, I don't know about the Friday night stuff. We will find out about that soon, hopefully. But uh, already, we, we it's been announced the game of the week schedule, and we have we're we're the highest by far with four games of the week out of the twelve. So I don't know if that's just Evan Lepler wants to f- drive more than he flies, since Evan lives in here in North Carolina, or uh, I don't know what happened there. But obviously, I, I, did we have to pay someone to make that happen, or was that just they like us? Or? Well, Evan started listening to your pod and he said, well, there's a Mike versus Evan competition every week. So we have to do one at the game, every game of the week. Yeah. So that's how it is. Uh, you know, I think, I think it just worked out that we have just awesome matchups in this division because, you know, once we pull Boston, and New York in for the year, it's like you get a couple new, new and interesting teams that you, you know, we recently saw in New York, but we've never seen Boston. So it just makes makes for all the more drama and people are going to be interested in seeing them. So, you know, we, we just, I think versus other divisions, there's a lot of really interesting matchups and it's a lot of parody in that in our division in particular, even the and even the teams that are in the middle are not that much removed from the teams at the bottom or the top. So I think it's just all, all the games are interesting. So I think we just got pegged with a lot of them. Well, and this is why my favorite question that I've been asking everyone is to rank all of the teams, which I'm not going to make you do because you specifically asked not to, which is I'm fine with that. But it's been my favorite because as a fan, it's like trying to figure out, I mean, who is the bottom team in the, right. in, in the I would, no idea. I mean, we have, yeah. we have ideas, but yeah. I mean, I can say this. I think the bottom four are very squished where there's no clear. I don't even, you know, I think most people would be like, yeah, Tampa's pretty good. I don't, I don't know if I believe that. I think going to Tampa is going to be tough for some Northern teams. And I just think all this division has talent and I don't think it's as far apart from the top to the bottom as people think. So moving away from the schedule, uh, talking about Flyers in general for this year. So what do you most want from the team this year? My big thing, obviously, like we've had some heartbreaks for our fans, which is sad and our team, obviously. But uh, I just want to perform consistently throughout the season. So whatever we bring at every game, we bring to the playoffs. And obviously the playoffs are a little bit different of atmosphere. There's a little more adrenaline, no matter what you, what you're, you know, what, what's going on. But uh, I want to ensure that our team brings that kind of energy and discipline to those playoff games, just like they will the rest of the year. So we're trying to build our a roster and a team that's going to be able to do that and, and bring that consistency throughout. 
So I've been wondering for a while now, what have practices been like? Obviously, we haven't been, had a chance to play in a year, but has the energy been different than it's been in the past? What have the new players added? Uh, are y'all doing anything differently coming out of the pandemic? What has all that been like? Yeah, I, I think like one, one thing we wanted to make sure in, in leadership is not to overwork people out of the gates. So we're trying not to have a lot of double session practices and also people getting used to playing in masks trying to be safe in terms of distancing. Like I can't say we've been the best team at distancing, but like, you know, majority of our players have vaccines. I think almost everyone has at least one shot. I think like probably 90% of the roster has two already. So that's a huge burden off of our shoulders that people took the, took the initiative to do that. But that allows practices to be kind of not strange. Like I think most people are super intense and back to kind of feeling normal minus playing in masks. But yeah, I mean, there's just been a lot of energy. People are super enthusiastic and, you know, we've definitely had a, probably a little heavier injury count so far, but I think that's just because people feel normal, which is good. But you also, as leadership, you kind of have to manage that. You don't want them to feel too normal because they're, they haven't played ultimate competitively in a year. And also if they're probably playing, they're probably playing on small groups and small fields and you're playing on an 80 yard field. That's 53 and a half yards wide. There's a lot of running to do. So that, that part of it is important to just make sure people are balancing their bodies and making sure they're, they're resting and doing the right things off the field because man, they're super excited to play on the field. Like there's tons of great energy and practices I think have been, you know, there's been just enthusiasm throughout and just a total, just electricity when we're together, people are just happy to be together. That's super important too. Like, I think a lot of people missed people and this is our first interaction with people again. And it's been great. It's been great to have a team again. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to, that first game is going to be magical. I'm so excited on that note. Do you have a moment you're most looking forward to for the season? Um, I mean, I, I would say just, just getting back out there again. And like the first time I think, one of those highlight plays happens and everyone's like, yes, like this is, this is real again. I think that's the biggest thing I'm waiting for. I also not to put the cart before the horse, but just potentially being in like a final four again and having that energy being in that, like those championship types of games again, that's always, that always gets me going. Like not, you know, I don't have a lot of adrenaline during those games, but it's just like the challenge. It's like the chess. I love the chess of it. Being the best chess master out there is like, you know, kind of a challenge for me. So that's, that's something also I'm looking forward to. Well, and they just announced today, the day we're doing this interview that we're doing the championship game in DC United stadium. So yeah. it's, it's going to be absolutely incredible. Ah, it's going to be great, which yeah. is only six hour drive from here. So I'm definitely, we're going to take a crew and get down there. You got it. Hope, I hope as many people go to that because I'll tell you, man, I went to the, when we went to the final four in San Jose and they played in that Avaya stadium, even though we the place wasn't crowded, there's was probably a couple thousand people there. It was just so much fun being in a stadium. Cause it just feels real and it doesn't matter if there's 2000 people. I mean, that, that stadium looks pretty well suited for ultimate. Like if we get 5,000 fans there, it'll look pretty good, which I think we'll do. Cause I think, you know, Madison has that kind of crowd and I think DC will do a great job hosting. That place will be great. Uh, I think it'll be a great event for ultimate, probably one of the better events we'll ever see. Moving to more just kind of Frisbee general questions. So do you have your a favorite moment within Ultimate as an experience, especially as a coach? I'd say most people would probably think like 2015 when UNC won the national championship would be mine, which was a great moment. That felt like the dessert 
to the meat of the 2014 season. So the semifinals of 2014, I think forever will be the like best game of ultimate. I've, you know, between John Nethercutt, like putting on just an insane display as an ultimate player, but just the, just kind of the magic of that night, the crowd, the team we beat, which was Wilmington, which was a hump we tried to get over. Wilmington was like dark sides Dallas for multiple years before we got over them. You know, that one and, and just that particular team with one of our best players for, for people that aren't aware got towards ACL. So Ben Snell towards ACL that year. And to be able to go back to the finals, even though we didn't win with that team, that was like, it was like my coaching reward. It was like everything that I've worked to do in the multiple years that I coached UNC kind of coming to life, coming together. So that's kind of my best experience, like being in that event or being in that day, that, that, that semifinal game. Do you have a player or coach that you've learned the most from? Yeah. So I really, really, really liked John Wooden, like just as a student of coaching. I mean, I like Bill Belichick. I think he is a tactician. His, some of his stuff is like just incredible. And I follow him outside of the ultimate realm, like John Wooden, if you read some of his books, it just makes you want to be a better person. Like he didn't swear. Like he just was one of those guys that was just like vanilla ice cream, but he just knew how to do it and win every year. I still don't even like, I look at his coaching pyramid and I'm like, this is just so, there's so many things going on here. There's like 200 kind of tenets of this, but just reading his like experiences as a coach and knowing how successful he was, that's kind of like the, the person that I've probably learned the most from in terms of like outside ultimate and then inside ultimate. I, I just, every year I learn from players at this point, every year they make me a little better. I, I don't think I'd be even close to the coach. I was, if I didn't have the like kind of dark side core when I was younger and like, even the kids now, like the people we have in leadership right now between like Alan LaViolette, Saul, and Eric, Henry, and Noah, of course, every year, it's just like you're, you, you're learning a little bit from, from them to just be a little bit better of a coach. And also they just take the burden off you. And so there's not like an individual, but it's like every year when I have players, I learn from them. If you don't as a coach, you're probably not doing a great job as a coach. You should grow by adapting to and learning from your players every year. What is the area you feel like you most need to improve in as a coach? Just managing, managing my time. Well, I think that's a big thing. I think one of the things that I failed to do and which I love to do as a coach is innovate. And because I've been just like I talked about throwing so many balls in the air and juggling them, like I just, I don't have enough time to do that. And it's, I kind of, I almost look forward when I'm like six years old and all I can do is sit in a chair and like think about new strategy for ultimate or just whatever sport. Like, I, I don't know. I just think about that stuff all the time, but I just don't, it's like, I think about it, but I don't have time to put pen to paper and come up with stuff. We have so many tactics and tenants now that I, I don't want to throw more stuff <laughs> out, but I also wish I had more time to think about it because I think you're like always one thought away from revolutionizing a sport. And it's like, you know, you think about all kinds of sports like basketball, right? It's like, somebody was like, Hey, we should shoot a lot of three-pointers after like, you know, 25 years of a three-point line being there. Just like stuff like that, I think is always amazing that that there's people that can innovate and I like doing that. So it's just having the time to do it and making sure I'm not overworked is my, you know, the thing I need to improve the most at. I mean, the pandemic was interesting, right? Because it kind of forced everyone to a standstill. Do you, so did you have some things that you've kind of come up with in the last year when you were forced to 
just not do anything? Or did you kind of take a total break from Frisbee in the last year? Yeah, I took a total break. I needed a break. I needed a like mental recharge. And I definitely watched some film near the end of probably like December, January. I started getting back into it. But I, I took nine months, essentially nine months, and just focused on my family as much as, as humanly possible and like just had as many good times as I could with them. And it was like super, super refreshing. That's why I feel great right now. I'm like, I like hit the background running. And I, I do feel like, you know, like I said, like one of my worst, <laughs> one of the things I need to improve on the most as a coach is managing my time. And I think the pandemic made me reprioritize and do a better job with that stuff. So I'm still a work in progress because once I jump into the pool, it's really hard to stop swimming. But I think that's the big thing, like, because I had that break, I think it like reprioritized myself and I hope I can balance all this stuff a little better. What's the worst ultimate game you've ever coached? (laughs) Uh, All right. So when I was coaching UNC one year, we play um, this tournament called Queen City in Ramblewood and we, we were listening to the weather forecast and we, we run the tournament. So the person, I can't remember who our TV was, but they were like, yeah, I think the, the complex said we can go and play. So we start driving in the night of, and we know it's going to like snow and slush and sleet or whatnot. And we're driving and within like, I don't know, probably like 50 miles of Charlotte, it just starts snowing like crazy. Cars are just like skidding all over. The kid that was driving my car was like just a total insane, like driving way too fast for being on snow because I don't think he's ever been on snow before. And I had to tell him to like pump the brakes like multiple times. So anyway, we like get to the field on Saturday morning and it ends up being like, so it snowed through the night, there's snow on the ground, but the TD was like, it's going to be like 60 degrees out. So they let us play. So there's snow on the field when we start playing, but there's still like kind of bad weather. It's kind of windy. It's a little bit like misty. We played a game against, I think it was like South Carolina or Clemson, and we won it three to two. <laughs> three, three to two. I've never come closer to quitting ultimate in my entire life than that. There were probably 200 turnovers. Like we played a full game of ultimate and it was three to two. So hard cap is how, how long is hard cap take? It was, I mean, it had, I don't, I don't. Like, hundred minutes. No, they shortened the round. So it was probably like an hour. But it was like, it was most insane thing. That was windy. It was certainly windy. That was the other part of it that I kind of neglected to say. It was like probably a crosswind that was pretty steep, but it was also, you know, snow and slush on the ground and kind of misty and people couldn't grip the disc and it was like kind of cold, but yeah, it was, it was crazy. And anyway, that was, yeah, that was the worst thing I've ever, I hope, I, I wish somebody had that on video because it was insane. I just stopped coaching at one point. I was like, I can't coach, like just throw the disc as far as you can. That's all I can tell you to do. Uh, okay. couple more, and then we'll get to our last couple sections. So do you have any tips for new players or people looking to kind of check out the game? Yeah. I mean, well, not necessarily n- people that are totally new to the game, but I think one of the biggest things, if you're trying out for teams is just try to um, stay within your box as a player Cause I've cut, you know, between college and club and pro, I've just seen all kinds of people go to come to tryouts and like probably the worst way to hurt yourself is just try to do too much at a tryout, like throw a throw you can't throw and, and try to be somebody you're not. Like if you're a handler, you try to cut, if you're a cutter, you try to handle just things that are not in your box. And also what kind of teams are looking for in general, every team's going to have their stars already. So unless you're, you know, you're like a lock to make a team just play good fundamentals. 
think about like the little things that you can do as a teammate to show that you can add value to the team. So even like being in the huddle and having good energy, like keeping your head high, like making eye contact. Those little things are huge, but on the field, whatever box you've painted yourself in, I mean, obviously if you can make 70 yard, throw a 70 yard hammer, do it, but you want to try to like stay within that box and not expand it further than you can. Good coaches are going to see the, the good in that and they're going to see the value in that. All right. Our last section is a give and go sections. These are quick, short answers. Unless you have a really, really good one, you want to go into it. Let's do it. So first one, uh, how would you define the definition of a great teammate in one sentence? Someone that puts team above self. As a player, do you like your scuba or your hammer more? Uh, scuba all day. As a coach, would you prefer your players throw scubas or hammers more? Scuba all day. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite throw. Favorite fan reaction at a game? I Every once in a while, I take a peek when somebody gets a layout D. I love when like fans just go crazy over it because it happens rarely in the UDL, I think. Best advice you've ever been given? So my boss at work, anytime we'd have like a trade problem or anything, his advice was always like, guys, it'll work itself out. And I love that advice. This day, it's been an A number one piece of advice I've ever given because it always works itself out. Anything in life, if you just kind of use that as your mantra, it works itself out. Hey, we lost to Dallas three times in you know four years. It'll work itself out. We get more chances in life. So who inspires you? Man, my wife is pretty inspirational. She does everything. She does all the heavy lifting in my life. So yes, her. I feel the same way. <laughs> the Flyers have the next MVP. Who's winning it? Uh, probably Eric Taylor. He's, I think he's poised to have a real, real good season. I think Henry can pad some serious stats, but I think Eric's got kind of everything. Henry's a stat patter. That's what I just heard. Got it. Yep. We'll make sure that's a headliner. Oh, oh, I mean, yes. And he's a terrible dancer. Favorite offense as a player? So I, I was raised in vert, center vert. I love center vert. Uh, I've done so many different offenses, but I still love it. I think it's like just for me. As a coach, I still like Hostack. I, I think I like Hostack more than side. Your favorite player defense? I still love Clam. It's so multidimensional. Still, still my favorite. Working smarter, not harder is a good yeah. thing. Is that what we're saying? Smarter, not harder. Best post-game or tournament meal? Everything and any, anything and everything Mexican. Just give it to me all. And probably like a, a full sugar Coke. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Anyone that thinks a hot dog's a sandwich is a psychopath. So it's not a sandwich. Best pre-game tune to get you in the right headspace? I think it's called Going to the End of the Line by the Traveling Wilderberries. Pineapple on pizza, yay or nay? Uh, yay. Love pineapple. All right. So each podcast I've ended with a competition between you and the voice of ultimate Evan Lepler. I've discovered that you are actually a boxer. So I've dropped the boxing match. Apparently I can't imagine Evan actually being a good boxer. And then last time I went to a chess match, which I thought was interesting, but this I'm asking you as, as the person competing in this competition, uh, who can throw a flick huck farther, you or Evan Lepler? That is tough. Cause I haven't went to flyers tryouts and he could bomb the disc. But I love throwing flick hooks. So I, I'm going to give it to Evan, but I would actually like to try to compete against him doing this because I think it would be close. All right, Evan, you've been, you've been called out. We need to make this, this, this event happen. We've got tons of games of the week you're driving out. Who knows what's happened on Fridays yet? You're going to be here. We know you're going to, we need a pregame huck competition between the two of you and we can document it all. Add that to your stats. 
All right, we're wrapping up here. Last little section. I like to give you guys a space to give a shout out, whether it's a Frisbee or non-Frisbee. So to anybody in your life, maybe it's in the community, maybe it's outside. So who's your shout out for our pod? I got to give a shout out to Lindsay Sue because she's running the Radiance this year and she's doing so much work behind the scenes that people don't know about. Every person that sees her should give her a big fat hug when they come across her because she's working her tail off to to make the team successful. And I'm trying to help a little bit here and there and give her advice, but she's been a real workhorse and she deserves a lot of love from the community. Yeah, I'm so excited to get to interview some of those players and get going on that as their season gets rolling. I know they've got tryouts right around the corner, which will probably happen by the time this pod comes out. And so definitely June, you know, we'll be featuring the Flyers, obviously, because their season will have started. But with all that, we'll definitely be, who knows, maybe we'll do some some doubleheader weekends where we get out two pods for for both. And then as they get into their play, we'll we'll definitely be featuring them a ton too, so. Thanks for coming on the program. Any uh, final like words for the fans or any ads or things you want to push before we, we get off? I guess the only small like advertising I'd be doing is I think we're going to be dropping season ticket prices to like a manageable level for our fans. So we would really love people to buy more season tickets this year. I'm excited to see everyone again and get people back to the game. The first game to show some energy for that first DC game. It'd be incredible. Flyers head coach, Mike Denardis, thanks so much for coming on the program. We'll uh, be seeing you in Atlanta coming up here pretty quick on June 5th, and then we'll see you in our home stadium, uh, Durham Memorial County Stadium, on June 12th. So we'll see you soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. being on. Huge thanks again to Mike Denardis, head coach and part owner of the Raleigh Flyers, for coming on to the program today. You can buy season tickets, like he just said, at raleigh-flyers.com or individual tickets from there. And we'd love to see you out for our first game on June 12th in Durham County Memorial Stadium against the D.C. Breeze. As always, our sound editor is Mr. Jonathan Liu. Music is by Kai Mosco. And I'm your host, Luke Mead. And this has been the Raleigh Pro Ultimate Podcast.